0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 159. Oh,
1: close to another milestone. 160. 160. Yep. 160
0: is divisible by some numbers. Three, six... Uh, is it divisible by six? No, it's not. It's divisible by three. I know that. Maybe. I can it gets quick confusing. math.
1: It's, co- it's confusing because
0: it's 160, not just 60. 16. It's divisible by 16. Mm. Sixteen times
1: ten. Welcome to our math podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
0: not even sure why we started with that because no, we're actually more doing English literature this week. <laughs> not math.
1: Different, different class today, everybody. Yeah, Zeke's your teacher. <laughs> oh god. Um, Zeke, is this a case of the teacher just needing to be one step ahead of the student? Is that what this is going to be today? I definitely
0: feel like this. This is it. Which would be, I imagine. Some people listening to this show this week might be a little disappointed <laughs> with, our, with our understanding of Shakespearean literature. We're not going to give you a
1: total literary rundown of, of Shakespeare today. Yes. We'll talk about the visual
0: elements of the movie. Mm, the stuff we know. The motion picture from Joel we, Yeah, exactly. Instead yeah. of write what you know, it's talk about what you know. Exactly. Yeah speaking about what you, right. speaking about what you know, Jake. <laughs> yes. Do you have a trivia fact from? I film do, Week?
1: I do, and in fact, this was something I kind of, I realized during my viewing of the film, the tragedy of Macbeth. I call him Macbeth a lot, not Macbeth. I guess his name there. Mm. It's not like McDonald's. No, it's The tragedy Macbeth. of McDonald. I think it's Macbeth. Yeah, that was the original name of the founder, by the way, the tragedy of McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: The founder oh, gets a lot of God. mentions on this show. It
1: does. We gotta do it. Yeah. That's like a you know, before the show dies, period. That that has to be done. Yeah. Surely.
0: Yeah. That's kind of a As the founders of this show, we should talk about the ah, founder.
1: Very good, very good. But mm-hmm. we're not talking about the founder. I'll stop going on tangents. <laughs> I'll talk about yes. the thing I noticed during this film, is that not only one or two, but four performers in this film were all at one stage in the Harry Potter film series which is interesting because i i was like oh is it just like a lot of english actors in this mm-hmm. film i was like no in fact respectively and i'll go for the list now of course we have brendan gleason mad eye moody slash duncan yes in this film you have harry melling of course dudley slash malcolm oh i thought i said duncan and Madley. oh it's because it's duncan and then dudley that's how i got confused but then you got catherine hunter of course he plays the witches and plays uh arabella Arabella in the film. I think she's only in like the fifth movie, um, and of course Ralph is it Inson, Iainy. So I've never said it out loud before, but of course he plays the captain early in this film, and Amicus in I guess the later Harry Potter films. So all four of them, which is interesting, and again, respectively, Irish, English, American, and English again. So go. it's not like they're all English actors, they're all over the pond, they're all over the place.
0: All over the place. Crazy.
1: So, yeah. That was cool. It was neat.
0: Well, this is a this is an intriguing one. Obviously, this one is the Soul Direction by Joel Cohen. Yes. Um yes. which, you know, it's we have talked to an extent about the Cohen brothers on this show, so it's interesting to just be talking yeah. about one of them. Have um, we done
1: a director's corner for them yet?
0: I don't think Fargo was. We
1: haven't done Fargo. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we did. Um, we did, um, about we did inside Lewin Davis, but that wasn't a director's no. corner. I don't believe we have. No, if we, because I feel like Fargo would be the director's corner. I feel like it's all it's something even earlier than yeah, that. Yeah, I would say that or like Big Lebowski or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, man, we really haven't done many of their films. I don't think no, about no, it. no,
0: like I've watched a lot of them. I just yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, we haven't done them on the show specifically. Interesting. Well, speaking of Joel Cohen, and mm. particularly the shooting schedule centering around a film that was predominantly, if not completely, shot on sound stages, um, yeah. which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, this was shot in 36 days, which is uh, the shortest shooting uh, Joel, uh, schedule Joel Cohen's ever done. Mm. Um, you most, go. Of, most of the shoot was completed several months after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense, yeah. It sort of makes sense for all the, you know, probably the restrictions and the way that it operates, but it kind of makes sense why it would be if it was predominantly shot on sound stages. Yeah, um, yeah. Well,
1: it, well, the, the choice to do that, we'll get into the cinematography and all of that soon, of course, but like, some wonderful aesthetic choice is being made in for terms sure. of the behind the scenes. But the funny thing you mentioned that, and of course this is, Joel is... Solo credit here for mm-hmm. directing, and, and my thinking this whole time is, oh, well, he's he's going back to solo directing because a lot of the earlier Cohen films he was the only director, but apparently that was just more of a pseudo thing, and that this is the first true film that he directed by himself, mm. which that's interesting to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, mm. and if anything, it, we'll talk about a little bit more in the. There's definitely a husband wife um, yes, element yes. to this with obviously Francis McDormand, and obviously it's kind of. If anything, this could be a very similar situation where maybe it's his sole direction but has heavy influences from, obviously, Frances herself in mm. the producing element of, of this. Yeah. So, um, he just likes his partnerships. He just changes his partners. That's
1: true. That's very true. Um, <laughs> but like Jake, that. obviously yeah. this
0: is not on the list behind me. Being no. a 2021 release. Would it be on your 1100 films to watch before you die?
1: I would actually say Yes. Now, not, not so much a—that's not so much a reflection of like my personal enjoyment of the film. So much it is as it is. This is a very straightforward, very mm. authentic retelling of a classic story that's been around for many, many centuries. Yeah. Um, and it does it faithfully and cinematically. And I think for that reason alone, because it's so easy to make parodies of things these days. I mean, they—they mm. they did what a Cinderella movie last year. I was like, oh. What's the twist this time for Cinder? It's like, there it doesn't feel like a twist for this one, you know? It just feels very yeah. classic. And you know what's funny? When I go on Letterboxd, I could be wrong, but this is actually the only film that is called The Tragedy of Macbeth. Every other adaptation of Macbeth on film is a different title. It was either just called Macbeth or, you know, whatever the case may be.
0: Because
1: mm. usually we would put years at the end of a remake, for example. Yes. Or something, to clarify which version we're talking about. And we don't have to do that this week. This is the only version of this film called that. Yeah. Which is interesting.
0: But I I would, for that reason, I'd put it on my list. What about you, Zeke? I actually agree with that sentiment based on simply uh, the notions you put forward about sort of intertextuality and and how this does actually very much adhere to its source material and any sort of deviations or at least selective uh, interpretations of the original literature Mm -hmm. have been taken and adopted um, based on just kind of directorial decision making, we'll, and yeah. we'll we can dive into those a little bit later on in the show. But one hundred percent from you know obviously you know tying into even my like career projection as a as a teacher, hmm. this is a great sort of way to incorporate intertextuality between multimodal texts. Hmm. So getting students to read Macbeth or pa- our passages of Macbeth, and then getting them to watch the film and seeing similarities, differences, creative nuances, and deviation between mm. artists and those who interpret the original artist medium.
1: Yeah, sweet. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about in terms of faithfulness, I guess is probably the mm-hmm. correct term for that. But I guess we will get that to later in the show, because Zeke, before I before we get into the film, i got to ask, what have you been watching this past week?
0: So I haven't watched too much. I've, I've really been um, actually picked up. Peaky Blinders again because I haven't watched the final season of that. So obviously there's five seasons I've watched four um, seasons of the show and I'm about to start the fifth but I just seem to have just tuned out of it and then decided, okay, probably due to finish this. Because six comes
1: out soon, is that my understanding? Yeah, So,
0: probably a good time to dive into that fifth season. Um, At this point, I think my problem with the show is and very apparently why I lost steam with it was it just felt a bit repetitive and Okay. It's still kind of feeling like that. But maybe that's the sort of it, i I talked about in earlier episodes of this show that when talking about the show every season has like a different villain and it sure. seems to wrap it up, but and they always seem to get bigger and larger and more uh more to lose, but um definitely additions to the show like like Aiden Gillen and stuff has been quite effective. So mm. I have enjoyed the start of season five. Um, the only other thing I've caught other than the film of the week is another film that came out a couple of years ago. recently got added to Netflix, a Pete Davidson film called Big Time Adolescence.
1: Oh, you know what? Friend of the show, Jack, I think he loves this film. I memory. Honestly,
0: it's, it's so funny because I'm actually a big fan of it myself. Mm. Um, it's directed by Jason Orley, which... Um, you know, just looking at his catalogue, um, the only other thing that he's actually credited for as a director is the Pete Davidson special. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that, have, I think have note, I seen
1: that one? That was a recent one, eh? Yeah, I wasn't a and big a, fan of that
0: special. A 2022 film that's called "I Want You Back," so that's honestly just been released. I want you back, um, or or it's coming out, or it's coming out. Um, I don't think I've heard which of it. i seen a reasonable uh, collection of. It's an Amazon original film, so...
1: Oh, it must be out, yeah. 3.5, but only based on, like, like a half... Like, a dozen reviews yeah, or... And like it's coming, coming out February
0: reviews. 11th on Prime Video, so, obviously, that will come up a couple of weeks now. That
1: will, yeah. We'll, we'll mention it at the end of next week's show, actually. So,
0: <laughs> there you go. I was doing it in preparation for that film. There you go. Um, on
1: it. Sorry Charlie Day. Look at that.
0: Yeah, so, this is actually a really interesting film. Um, it's basically centred around a 16-year-old who develops a relationship with a 23 year old but obviously they meet when um, the 16 year old is I think 11 at the time and then mm. um, Zeke is actually the character of oh, Pete Davidson no. <laughs> very confusing hearing my name in film you don't hear um, it often? You, I think it's the first time in re, like memory that I can recount it is wow um, I, feel like I've heard,
1: heard, I feel like I've heard Zeke a couple of times
0: um, it always does throw me off a little um, and they say it a lot in this film, so it's like a little jarring. Um, but yeah, Pete Davidson's character's name is Zeke. And basically they develop a relationship centered around that the character of Zeke dates the eleven year old's older sister. Right. They break up and then they keep their friendship. But it's sort of like how the sixteen year old idolizes this sort of drop kick twenty three year old mm. and is sort of leading him down a, a wronged path. And it's actually a really quite a it's a very easy watching film in the sense that it's very well written very micro cost like cosm in its sort of um focus like it doesn't try to go too far it's it definitely knows what it wants to be and it's still quite a sharp film and pete davidson is perfectly cast in, mm. in this that role um he plays a very similar role to his staten island um performance yeah um sort of but less obviously focused on the the trauma that pete davidson physically underwent um obviously that's way more tied to the the true life story of pete davidson's right and his father and all that Uh, yeah yeah, whereas this one is is, he's kind of in that zone and and i actually really enjoy it it's a nice fun little hidden gem film that's all i've caught in the last week what about you jake
1: yeah well i've been similar i've been so busy this last week um which yeah, I, it, world of its own But I was able to squeeze in, just squeeze it in last night at 9:15 p.m. I finally saw the worst person in the world. Um, yeah, very exciting. It's actually playing at Sundance right now, or is Sundance over? It might actually be already over. But um, yeah, just it's playing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's playing in special screens. That was a bit of a like, oh, okay, that's weird. We already got it here because mm. it's not in competition over there. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I've heard tremendous things about this film. It's obviously got a great average letterbox score like 4.1 4.2 yeah, like that.
0: with a lot of views so yeah
1: and I know Steven's been on my ass for weeks like Jake you gotta watch this bloody film what'd you think um it's great it's very great it's very much and I I won't get into the whole title because the title win in itself is setting up this expectation going in of like okay well you know it's, it's a bit of a rom-com aspect you're following this girl and it's a bit of a character piece about Julie who's sort of late 20s early 30s going for life and trying to figure things out and and you go on with that expectation of, okay well why is this the worst person in the world mm-hmm. and i i obviously won't spoil sort of where that perspective comes from i think it's really cool when you start to learn what it's all about but it, it's ultimately about the uncertainty of youth in this sort of digital age it's yeah. sort of a modern age uh, where you could sort of point to other people around you and be like i want to be like that or why am i not at that stage in my life Mm -hmm. yet and sort of these expectations that we put on ourselves about where do we want to be in life who do we want to be who do we want to be with and all of those questions and it's wonderfully done in this sort of very highly structured you know 12 act structure as they put it chapter one two through through to chapter 12 um mostly focusing on the relationship she has with this guy who's about about 15 years older than her and you know, arguably has more of his life together. He's um, done these comic books before and, and well, comic books or and drawing sort of doodles like Garfield-esque mm-hmm. stuff, but it's really crude and, and like shock humor, but that's sort of how he's made his living. Yeah. Um, and he wants kids and she's obviously uncertain about that, but then she's sort of hopping between degrees and different things in life. And it's very subtle. I didn't notice it, but it's like her hair changes a lot in the film and it's never really drawn attention to. Mm. So just lots of little touches like that um that a are really the clementine
0: great. thing in like eternal sunshine right oh yeah you know? i mean oh
1: god it's been so long since i've seen it but yeah it's a, it's a bit of that uncertainty of of what direction she wants to take her life into and sort of the expectation she puts in herself um through that but then it becomes a bit of a triangle because there's another guy that she meets and um it's not really a film about cheating necessarily i kind of like the way that whole angle was dealt with uh, but that plays a part in it is who does she wants to be with and, and never being mm. certain about one direct path. And I think the film does a really great job of that. It's There's some great moments of, of like visual storytelling and editing. There's a moment where she's um, running down the street and everything's frozen around her, which is just... I'm sitting there like, God, how did they do that? I'm trying to think in my head, sort of, would you comp that in? Would you do this or that? Yeah. Um, but it's just like, that's like a magical moment. It's mm-hmm. like the, the midpoint in the story when like, ah, like everything... Or makes sense for a minute and then it comes back to being all confusing and, and scary and part of the reason I think I walked away not dissatisfied but I wasn't wholly satisfied with the ending okay. and I think part of it is it, just, it does lean on that thing of there is still a level of uncertainty and, and not a very conclusive side of the things there's some very obviously sad mm. things towards the end and again I would not spoil it um, but it recontextualizes things, but not enough for me to feel like I walked away being like, oh, this is what this film is saying. It's like, I feel like I got that from like the first and second yeah. act. Um, and it, But at the same time, it makes sense that a film about uncertainty kind of leaves you walking out uncertain about where everything came ahead to. Mm. Um, so I think that there's something to be said about that. Um, and the other shot I wanted to talk about because I love that sort of the the frozen streets of uh, Oslo Norwegian it's a Norwegian film as well gotta read them subtitles Zeke like. gotta, gotta do it <laughs> gotta get up get up on,
0: get amongst the uh, Norwegian films exactly
1: but there's one shot in particular and there's actually a callback to it at the end of the film but it's the early one where she's sort of walking down the street and is looking at you know the clouds and the sun setting it's this beautiful vista and it's like it's something that when you and I see we'll be like oh that'd be great it's like we could do it in this scene. We start putting it in our head. How will we shoot? A scene mm. like that. But the camera just lingers on her long enough. You get this sense of... It's very relatable where she looks at something like that and is like, how do I... I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And it's a very, it's an unspoken scene. It's just brilliantly directed and performed. Um, the whole cast is great. It's a it's a really fantastic film. I think... I, I You know, when I said it's great very curtly earlier, I was ready for, like, the butt. But now that I think about it, there really is no but. This is a great film, through and through. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to just talk you it think out loud, You, you know? think
0: it's got a really good chance at Foreign Picture this year?
1: Yeah, so what is the deal? I'm sh- it's probably in the shortlist. International shortlist Oscars 2022. Um, let's see. A Hero, flee, Drive My Car. I know Titan's on here. Ah, oh, The Worst Person in the World. There you go. I will definitely be nominated. Yeah but to be fair I'm hearing immaculate things about Flea drive my car so it's like I don't know how stark the competition is true but I could totally see this winning yeah I I mean the last few years obviously Parasite was sort of an anomaly in that sense but like even last year Another Round which is a very approachable relatable uh, film fantastic film (laughs) (laughs) I still think it's great I know I know don't get my ass I mean that's literally what I thought I was like am I going to give this from a three and a half star or a four star I'm probably going to lean towards four because I know I gave yeah. another round three and a half and people don't like me
0: for that. Yep. <laughs> what people? <laughs> who? Uh,
1: who could it be? But yeah, um, Worst person in the World. Great film. I reckon it's definitely going to get nominated. But again, I need to see the competition. Of course. I need to see the other films before I make that judgment. But
0: yeah. Great film. No dramas. Yeah. Have you watched anything else? No, that's it. it. That's all, well, that's we've had all a really we're... light week. I know. It's all we're able to squeeze in. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to add anything to career sections before we move into the second um, half of the show?
1: well uh, not really but it's funny because so I think I might have mentioned it last week but I have a wedding coming up this Saturday that I'm doing a live stream for mm. and it was one of those things where I was going to borrow some gear that I realized that I'm actually unable to borrow so I was like oh i got to start sorting this myself so I have to buy like the Elgato Cam Link it's like a $200 USB but you can feed the mm. HDMI through it oh okay I have to buy the okay this is annoying I'm still waiting on email from PLE because I had to order from my GH4 a a micro HDMI to HDMI yeah, obviously the the mini is a lot more common for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So I ordered a click and collect from PLE. Of course, time is of the essence here, Zeke. And they're like, "Oh, it's delayed. We don't know when it's coming." I was like, "Oh, great." And then my mate Luke, shout out to Luke. It's like, "Go to JCar." I was like, "Don't never heard of JCar before, but everything you could possibly want is there, including the micro HDMI and HDMI converter. Plus, it was cheaper, and I could just buy it on the spot." So I was like, "Hell, I'm going to do that. Hell yeah." So that's all working, except I can't get picture feed on OBS. So I'm like, I'm a little worried about that. But you got the cable. I got the cable. Yeah. And now I'm waiting for PLE to... I told them I want my refund because it still hasn't even arrived yet. And they're like, oh, we've got to check with management. We're not too sure. It's like, it's a $30 cable. Just click and collect. It's just going to sit in your store anyway. Give me my refund. Mm-hmm. my $31 back. $31 <laughs> for a cable, Zeke.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? It's
1: ridiculous. But anyway... Might talk about
0: that more next week. <laughs>
1: if the wedding goes well or not. The
0: thing is I'm pretty sure I have that cable. Ah, well, so that's annoying. Just... <laughs> I could have asked. No, well, look, I have it. I have it now, you know? Because I got a G7. Yeah,
1: of course. So that's micro as well? Pretty sure. Yeah, cool. I'd
0: have to double check it, but I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, that's it. The Mini is so common these days. Everyone I know has a Mini, but almost no one has a Micro. So, right.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. Well... <laughs>
1: anyway, that's my career update.
0: Yeah. <laughs> i have too much to add. I'm starting my last year of Master's. So that's about it. Yeah, that's about it for me.
1: I mean, that's pretty exciting in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, fifth year of
0: uni now. Fifth and a half, five Good and a half miss. years later. So it's like, it's just another year now. One more year, hopefully. Yeah. Better payoff. It is time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching?
1: This week on the show, Z, we're watching the tragedy of Macbeth.
0: By the pricking of my thumbs,
1: something wicked this way comes.
0: King that shall be.
1: If we should fail. We fail. Ah! Didst thou not hear noise? Methought thought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. A bold one. That dare look upon that which might
0: appall the devil. I have no words. My voice is in my sword. Macbeth receives a prophecy from a trio of witches that one day he will become king of Scotland. Consumed by ambition and spurred to action by his wife, Macbeth murders his king, and takes the throne for himself.
1: So I heard this was based off Game of Thrones
0: because <laughs> there's a throne in it. <laughs> to be honest, in a if anything, this really does go to show uh, the timelessness of of Shakespearean literature because. This essentially is a two-hour version of basically Game of Thrones. <laughs> In a nutshell, uh, ambition, betrayal, mm, mm. consumed by greed, witches—like <laughs> it's—I wouldn't of, know because I haven't seen Game okay, of Thrones. Well, so. <laughs> supernatural stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's, it's pretty much yeah. It's an artistic, a more artistic version of. Mm. of yeah, more like a contemporary retelling yeah, through
1: the I guess it makes sense, yeah.
0: So, as we said in the, the first part of the show, this is solely directed by Joel Cohen, but produced by himself and Frances McDormand, his wife.
1: Yeah, which I think I mean, I've always felt that connection because they obviously work together a lot in films. This one, very prominently in the credits, is produced by, and it's just their two names in mm-hmm. clear, bold letters. Um, so I like that they're sort of putting that forward as a they're almost like a duo making this film together, which yeah makes perfect sense. I mean, it's you know
0: we've we've seen it in other films before, like Marriage Story, we talked about with mm. the with the sort of and you know Little Women, sort of the Greta Gerwig bombok combination at yeah. the time. And
1: well, I think I think the films that predate those, I, I think like um, how am I forgetting the name? Ah, um, uh, Fra- Francis Ha. Jeez, it took mm. me a second. I feel that's, that's a stronger um, example of their relationship because he directed, she performed in it. Yeah. But it's like, you watch that thinking it's a Greta Gerwig film. Mm-hmm. She didn't even direct it. But yep. It's like, that's her film. So I think, I mean, that's a very similar thing to what's happening. Here. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Fair, cool. Well, um, I mean, there's not, it's one of those things where it's like, we can go quote spoilers straight away because <laughs> it's, it's a 400 year old play. So it's like. The
1: log line spoiled it. <laughs> Literally says he murders the king, takes the phone. Yeah, you can kind of assume what happens from there.
0: I think the the real core values that we're going to be looking into this is obviously things like shooting style performances, mm. like the nitty gritty of the story itself um, is basically going to be told through what we thought of the actors' performances. Is probably the best way of sure, yeah, discussing it because the story doesn't surprise you at all. Like you said, the logline spoils it, and
1: yeah, well, it's a, it's a tale as old as time. I think it dates back to the 1600s.
0: Like, and it's probably one of the most widely, like I was saying in the first part of the show, it's, or even before the show started, it's in high school, if you've done a Shakespeare play, there's a good chance it was this play. Sure. Yeah. Um, Like, it's one of those like big four, big three plays that get done a lot in English literature. Yeah. I personally didn't do any Shakespeare in high school, Uh. but... Um, well,
1: it, it's funny. In all fairness, it probably would have behoved us to actually get maybe like a someone who was more like lit bound to actually come on and talk more about the literature and the wording behind it specifically. But um, there, are, I'm sure there is a million other things out there for that. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus again on visual on the vi- on the visual element of the story. Yeah. Sort what does
0: this had. do? What does this do compared to um, other interpretations of sure. filmic interpretations of the original source material? Yeah. Or does it do differently, and that's quite an interesting conversation. I brought it up in the first part of the first part of the show. It's it's all shot on a soundstage, which is yeah yeah,
1: which is so evident very early on. Mm-hmm. With there's something about the aesthetic and the look of this film that you almost can't quite put your finger on immediately. Like you can, you, there are exterior quote unquote scenes mm-hmm. that you know very clearly 2D backdrops. That you know at first feel you know reminiscent of like a stage play, yeah. the way it's set design. I think a lot of it is very intentionally that. But I think I think it goes an extra step further. Well, I wasn't quite ready ready to pull the the, the trigger on that and be like, oh, they're trying to do a stage play because I don't think that at all. There's a lot of examples in the film of the way it's shot, mm. where the cameras put, how they do shadows, um, when they decide to show off sort of the the structure and the architecture of the the buildings themselves and how tall they go. Yeah. So a lot of examples of actually uh, making it more cinematic than a stage play would be. So mm-hmm. I think it's really And cool. I think
0: that that's you've hit the nail on the head there. It's It would be easy to be like, oh, well, from a surface level, they're just trying to do a stage play, but I yes. really think that is the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I think what this is trying to do is it's trying to amalgamate the two mediums, so make it stage play-esque in its deliverance, but show the power of, of the lens mm. in, in its own right. Um, yeah. particularly depth, uh, the way that depth is created in the frame is very intriguing, like mm. really elongated, uh, lengthy hallway corridor shots in what would have probably been not, a, no more a stage, no bigger than 20, 30 meters is, Sure, yeah. It's quite fascinating how they do that depth. Um, in particularly there's a couple of shots that you know we'll talk as we go unfold out the story that i'm I'm amazed how they managed to get that level of of depth through stairwells and such yeah yeah what would have been a relatively small space
1: well even um the example i think of when we talk about is is i think it's the scene when they all discover that duncan's died it's around that point where there's a, a shot that tilts up and you sort of see how tall Um, the sort of that square structure of the building goes and it's like that's something you could not um, replicate on the stage you could in terms of the height but it could only go so high you know in in terms of the literal limitations of Mm -hmm. the stage the actual building Um, but here they're able to exaggerate and make it longer i know they did use um, I guess, would you call it green screens if the whole thing's shot in black and white? I'm not too yes. sure. But, you know, they're, they're chroma keying backgrounds. And in the example of that, where they're tilting up, they are exaggerating the height of the building because of the way the camera is positioned. So they're doing that multiple times, even the way they play with shadows. And one of the things I read, which makes so much... Because, again, one of the things I took away from this was shapes, the way they're using shapes in very clear ways mm. through black and white photography. Because that's something that's really highlighted through black and white photography. Because once yeah. you, you strip the color away, but then you can also strip the outlines away. And once you do that, and that's something that I noticed when I was watching Pi, the Darren Aronofsky film for the first mm-hmm. time, is uh, that's a black and white film, but it's very low budget, high contrast black and white. So there are moments where you can't even see the outlines between characters, like the forehead and the backdrop behind them. Yeah. and it's like oh, everything's almost melting into each other and because there's no colour you're losing so much of Yeah, There is an immense use
0: of high-key lighting yeah. throughout this and, and, and there's literal like metaphorical and literal foreshadowing of characters <laughs> with the use of shadows pun intended. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well it's but, creating those shapes. Well it's like one of the most prolific ones like in the early part is when Lady Macbeth is walking down the hallway and there's a guillotine yep. shadow mm. sitting at the back and it's like literal foreshadowing and then if it's not even a guillotine it's a slanted shadow like a stairwell yeah and it's Uh. like um (laughs) and you're like wow so that's sort of crazy how that they they do that sort of shadow-esque symbolism which this film you know and i i'm trying to think of a film from cohen like joel and the the, the first one that springs to mind is no country for old men does have Mm. similar uses of of high-key lighting and shadow foreshadowing in it <laughs> shadow uh, foreshadowing shadow, foreshadowing. um and that's the only one that i can spring to mind maybe even um blood simple does it at times um but and maybe it's some in some essences fargo does it in the occasional
1: I, I think fargo it does have that visual language of like the pure white snow Mm -hmm. And obviously that contrasts heavily with the the red blood that goes on it. That's your iconography for Fargo Mm -hmm. out there. But the way it stretches out where it's just like pure white is filling the screen.
0: Yeah. Um, But it's definitely one of the key points of conversation here. Because I obviously got, and with removal of the soundstage, which is a huge part of production design and, and the way that it's constructed in the frame, got very lighthouse vibes. At times. Yeah, it's com-
1: it is. It generally is. Well, in terms of oh. obviously the aspect ratio, the colour scheme and, and all of those things, but the way it tells story through visuals, like minimal minimalistic visuals mm-hmm. and being very uh precise about what the camera's catching. Yeah. I compared it to the lighthouse in that same way.
0: Yeah. Um mm. like even yeah, definitely the use of, of spooky shadow esques and <laughs> I mean I you know we were talking about the lighthouse on the show as it's, it's, or even off the off the air there was the whole I remember you and I we attended a party um, friend of the show Jesse Newell when he <laughs> yeah. discussed he talked about the the mythos behind um, the lighthouse the lighthouse yeah. and sort of that sort of those ancient f- sort of seaman folk tales whereas in this case obviously we have ties to sixteenth seventeenth century literature mm. so it's. It's, it's definitely got those sort of similarities there. I feel like Cohen has definitely taken inspiration or at least some form of influence from what Eggers did with Lighthouse, The Lighthouse.
1: Yeah, in terms of going to that time period, like, okay, how can we replicate? the? I think The Lighthouse is about the technological side of it. Mm-hmm. This film does still feel digital in ways. It still feels quite sharp in mm-hmm. that sense, but I think you're right in terms of the way everything is lit and presented... Yeah. I mean there were cues taken from yeah, a long time ago.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that this is 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 going for that stage play that 40s aesthetic with the use of high key and shadow lighting mm-hmm. and such and you know we could compare it to to other like I said the lighthouse or you know um God, I'm blanking on it right now. Um David what's David what's the fin- film that David finished? Oh, Mank. Mank, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A replication, sort of repli- yeah, replication, yeah. That replication, technical replication of the time frame. Obviously, that was trying to do a 40s aesthetic for a 40s film, whereas yeah. this is more just oding to what we can only assume is like the 1940s, 1950s interpretation of Macbeth with contemporary influences, like casting, for instance, like mm, casting yeah. um, African-American leads in both your key central antagonist slash protagonists, yeah, I
1: did because obviously theater has such a elongated history of of sort of um, race bending and gender bending cast slash roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. And I do remember reading about because I was curious about that. I was like, "What? What is the history there? You know, has Macbeth ever been, you know, a black guy?" And it's like I wouldn't know
0: these things. Yeah. I don't know well, much about. Well, not just an African American.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and specifically American. an American. That's uh, yeah. a yeah. And I think what I found is that, just in terms of casting in theatre, that if you were going to cast, like, someone black, for example, that it would it would usually be someone British, not American. Yes. So it's almost like uh, doubly going against what the expectation was at mm-hmm. the time in terms of theatrical casting.
0: And on top of that, McDuff, the... Yeah, um, yeah. ...is also Afri- African-American. So both, um, you know, of African descent are both American. So it's quite interesting... Um, to do both your, what becomes the antagonist and protagonist of the film. Um, And definitely like the one that, where the big gigantic climactic uh, conflict occurs um, to have that center point. And it, it's obviously it's sort of one of those things that, you just immediately kind of move past it i know we've had this conversation on the show where it's like it's not really a big deal especially with the flexibility of theatre particularly shakespearean theatre yep. you know people aren't set in making it all true to the 17th century interpretation yeah of it's more I, to do with the physical writing true truth to storytelling yeah. that's I, the most important
1: i mean that's one of the big key differences here and and we should point out as well that it's like um Denzel and, and, and Francis, they're both classically trained actors. hmm So, it's not like it's Tom Holland playing Macbeth or something. Like these are very, you know, they're movie stars, but they're classically trained. They've been around for a long, long, long time. Yeah. They're prepared to do this material, and I think Francis McDormand has started, um, at least in other Shakespeare. So I don't know if Macbeth specifically... Well, I guess they both would have. They both would have been in other Shakespearean yeah, stuff, I... but... I think sort of the key... I think just in terms of the casting, it, yeah, I feel it, it more invokes the theatrical side of it because that... I mean, it's the main difference between theatre and film is film's about grounding you in a reality and theatre actually loves to play around with the, the acting part yeah. of it. We're acting as other people. Well, it's
0: It also... it. It reflects directorial creative direction when it comes to casting, and we mm. have to talk about casting because, um, particularly with Shakespearean interpretations, they don't explicitly often say the age of characters, and yeah. this leads to whenever a Shakespearean interpretation of something like Macbeth comes along, the age of lead characters like Lady Macbeth and Macbeth yeah. are flexible. Um, yeah. in this and- version, they're quite old they are they're actually um have serviced their um you know have serviced duncan Macbeth himself has serviced duncan mm. for decades and right, yeah. and so his am- rise to ambition is sort of forecast and, and like he feels entitled and this this their, their their relationship is sort of they've paid their dues and Um, Obviously, in in parts of the film where Lady Macbeth talks about having a child that clearly isn't around anymore, Mm. we can only assume this happened decades ago. And it still affects her, but it's not a direct... It's this miscarriage that would have occurred at some point is not something that happened recently. It would have happened decades prior, obviously, due to their age. Um, and whereas in other interpretations, even even filmic interpretations, they've cast them a lot younger, which means right. that the loss of that child occurred much closer to home. Mm. Um, and that's
1: because what what they're doing there between adaptations is that they're, they're keeping the main character traits, and that, that's one of the things I went in knowing purely because of Simpsons parodies. Is like, all mm. oh, right, well, Lady Macbeth is going to be a huge influencer in, in the behaviour. She's going to mm. be the one to sort of convince him to do the initial murder and, and, and all of that mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, some passive character. Like, oh, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You can't do this. She engages it. She she, she,
0: she feels bull- the fire.
1: Yeah, she almost bullies him into doing it. She pressures him to do it. And what's great about that is every single interpretation of the character, no matter how young or old they are, they still have that trait because that's the story they're trying to tell. And I think that's really interesting because you're not making a commentary on, like, Women and their age, and and when do they become more fierce and and mm. you know, um, possessive in that way? It's like, well, it doesn't matter. They can be young. They can be old. And I like I like the fact that that's what the adaptations are, yeah. are playing with. That's cool. That's
0: yeah, like because cool. It, it comes back to um, her ambition fuel might come from a state of jadedness because Mm. the world has not really given her anything and there's that sense that more fueled sense of entitlement because she lost a child and has kind of been treading water in this position and it also would explain to an extent that we really don't have a lot of romantic drive between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth it's not an overt I don't think they even kiss no. in this film. No. It's, in fact, it's quite what feels to be a marriage that has been around or a partnership that has been around for decades mm-hmm. and due to them constantly sort of being only now getting promoted to this sort of uh, thane position after decades of service yep. and uh, to the Crown, um it it almost feels like yeah they've lost a lot of the love side and their relationship is really more a partnership of ambition yeah and position and um rather than because the clearly the the love has has dissipated due to things such as losing a child which is a quite a central core value of particularly what happens when the weird sisters talk to mm. um to Macbeth at the start of the film, and it plays into the prophecy side too. Huge part of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I I I really love that. And, and to your point of of them you know, having served for decades, and this is where they're at. It's a, it's a, it's more a point of exhaustion than it is like if mm-hmm. they were young. And yeah. again, like this interpretation is com- completely fine as well. But if they're young, maybe more hot-headed and arrogant, and expecting things to come to them much quicker. But in this version, it is about that exhaustion of how long have I had to wait for this moment. Mm. Um, now, it's interesting you mentioned, I want to give a shout-out, across to Catherine Hunter. Um, and and again, this goes to the point of the whole gender-bending stuff because she actually does play a bearded man at one point in the film as well as the witches, which I thought was a neat little touch. She's great. Right there, but, oh, my God, she's fantastic. Her introduction
0: scene where she's like all...
1: Contorted and... And and that, she around. can naturally do that. Yeah, that's as a, fantastic. As
0: a, as a, she's, that's actually what made her so prolific as a stage actress that yeah. she could contort her body that like that.
1: Yeah. No, I mean it's a skill set, and it works in this case because you're you're doing the contortion, but it's like even the way she's dressed just to symbolize this this crow, which of course that symbolism becomes a lot more obvious mm-hmm. as the film goes on. But I just thought that worked so perfectly, even just the way she's dressed and how she uses her body um, to to sort of freak you out in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, well, she's not a natural element. She is a supernatural element yeah. at work, and but to keep it still, not to a special effects like leaning on the special effects yeah, thing. Yeah, they like, have
1: the reflection in the the water, but only to that extent. Yeah. They're relying on a physical performance still. That could be done on a stage play. Yeah, I mean, even the reflection could probably be done, you know, to an extent. Yeah, with yeah, smart be, enough production be able,
0: like you could use like LED screening, or you could use even like yeah, the the. The fact of the matter is the the emphasis on trying to limit the use of special effects in this film. Yes. Once again ties back to why they wanted it to like you said if this this could physically be delivered as a stage play you could literally be sitting in a in a in a, in a, a theater watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well that that's the thing I think this film does so well is It sort of respects both art forms Mm -hmm. because you have the super visual element of it where it's like they are casting these, you know, giant shadows and they're sort of bending the frame up and down to create that scale and that depth, Mm -hmm. you know, that we talked about earlier. And I know one of the things is that they actually physically painted shadows into the set, which is just such a cool detail to Mm -hmm. sort of take you out of it in a way uh, on purpose. But I'm trying to think what I was. Going with this? <laughs> no, it's, it's in, like oh, I think you, the nail yep. on the
0: head. It's the amalgamation of both art forms. Yeah, and respect to both.
1: We're doing that from a cinematic standpoint, but then keeping the language, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like you still have monologues. I remember noting it, you know, when Macbeth has he's walking towards Duncan's, I guess chamber or bed or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and he's monologuing specifically about how he hopes his footsteps can't be heard. And it's like a literal standpoint. Mm-hmm him talking and saying that out loud is what should be giving him away not the footsteps but again it's like that's leaning into the theatrical element is that yeah. most of the dialogue and again it's very faithful shakespearean dialogue that you know they they're speaking at such a fast right, rate that if you're not familiar with it already you need to kind of catch up yeah, with what they're saying I will concede I had
0: to turn on subtitles Oh
1: I did it before I even started the movie I was yeah. like yeah I'm going to need to because
0: especially when Denzel who's quite he whispers quite prolific, like, at times. (laughs) He's some mumbling moments, Like, his his inner monologue is very quiet. Yeah. Like, particularly the final face-off that he has, where he's, like, whispering. I'm like, what are you saying? Like, because the music's, like, (laughs) scoring underneath. And I'm like, I can't make out what you're saying. Because he's like, he really doesn't... I didn't realise how little Denzel moves his... Like, when he whispers, how little his lips actually move. Are you trying to (laughs) lip-sync? He's like... And I'm just like, wow. I didn't realise, like... He was such a prolifically when he really projects, his mouth really opens. God. Yeah, for sure.
1: Now they get very loud at points, which is great. That's sort of that more theatrical performance. But yeah, the fact that they're keeping the words and the fact that him speaking out loud is is more so like an internal monologue than an exterior monologue. Mm. Um, but it's leaning towards it because that's respecting the theatrical side of it, the theatrical and the cinematics. I mean, that's what the film does best is sort yeah. of meld those two in a respectful. Wait, Because there is a version of this story you can tell, and it probably has been done in all fairness, I couldn't tell you if it has um, where it is a lot less Shakespearean dialogue and more of a visual story. There is a version of a story where Macbeth goes through those motions of killing Duncan without saying a word Yeah. but this wants to pay homage and respect to the source material and respect the, the frankly, the very poetic wording that Shakespeare's written and I think that's great that it it and that's what I think helps you know at the start of the show we talked about how it it almost feels like a perfect way to almost almost introduce someone to Macbeth in that sense because it is authentic to what it is while still being a very enjoyable um, modern cinematic mm. telling of that story with with stars that we see in other films I think it really nails sort of that that mix and that gel
0: I didn't realize how many Coen Brother films I've watched. <laughs>
1: How, yeah because i've I've seen a good chunk of them if i click on joel so joel's name's been attached to every single one of them i imagine you see it's funny because when i look at his films like i think i think fargo and no country for all men are like masterpieces they're absolutely fantastic i did not enjoy burn after reading whatsoever Neither. oh brother we're out thou it's it's fun but it's i certainly wouldn't put it on the top of the list but then again, I haven't seen I I haven't seen, you know, Raising Arizona, A Serious Man, Hail Caesar, Buster Scrubs. I haven't a True Grit. I haven't seen any of those. I feel like you've seen most of those. I've seen X-Men. all those ones. Oh, that's listed. funny. So and and this Blood is Simple the, as well, the, yeah.
0: This would be the thirteenth Coen Brothers film I've watched.
1: Wow, damn. Where um, would you rate it sort of?
0: Um, or is it kind of unfair to write it I think it's really tough because there is a gulf between the ones I really dis, like I'm not a fan of like I do not like Hail Caesar I do not like Burn After Reading sure yeah. Um, don't really care for Ballad of Buster Scruggs um, really? Okay. yeah I'm like I like some of the, the obviously it's an anthology film that one so right. it's like I like some of them but then some of them I don't care for at all but simple's fine um raising Anderson, like and then then they go up a tier you know like raising arizona like a serious man like they're good films mm. and then there's the really fun films and then there's the just like the per- like I saw I re-saw that scene of Javier Bardem in the gas station oh man where he, and it's just <laughs> scary yeah like you wouldn't dare be in like you would never want to be in that situation and i was just like i was out at a at a bar that had like a movie Pulp Fiction theme oh that's funny and it was on the TV and I it just ignored what everyone was saying for like two and a half minutes while I watched <laughs> the scene because the close caption was on I was like he's not even hearing proper... the dialogue Jack yeah, and yeah. still thinking my god no. that scene is just mint it's visual baby it's visual yeah <laughs> and it's like that's I do have a lot I, I really enjoy this film this film feels completely and utterly unique to anything he's done before which I absolutely love. yeah it's very, a lot I, more artistic than a lot of... I mean, the I know we done. haven't done a Coen Brothers director's corner on here, but I think that's no. one of my favourite parts of them is the fact that they're so willing to just do what seemingly feels like almost random films, films that are almost alien to one another at right. times. Like, to think that the, the this guy went on to make films like, you know, Inside Lou and Davis, No Country for Old Men, like, Oh Brother, We're Out There, right. I and like these films that are almost foreign. Yeah, to Big the Lebowski, Lebowski, yeah, like, yeah that's the same guy or well, the same brothers or in this yeah. case yeah just you know Joel but it's like it's really impressive that they have such a diverse range of films um, but this film yeah this film is definitely different and I really enjoy it I the visual side's the thing that gets me the most it's what I enjoy the most yeah
1: I just I appreciate that so much because you're right like the, those little check boxes that you could put on the back mm-hmm. of a DVD cover like oh and, you know I'm entirely shot on the sound stage and black and white and you know yada 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 this yeah. shadows were painted. like those are all check marks but like watching it without knowing those specific things, mm-hmm. you feel it has such an interesting effect on you when you're watching it. Like this is, you can't quite put your finger on. Like okay, yeah, those are those exteriors are sounds. I think the last shot has elements of real exterior, but mm-hmm. with that, it, with the exception, it is all sound strange Um, you can kind of point to it, but then there's it just feels like there's more going on. There's more consideration. Um, yeah, I would definitely cop the
0: Blu-ray for this, just for the... I kind of um,
1: wish I did see this in a theatre, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, but instead we saw it on Apple TV+. Plus. Zeke, what did you think yeah, of Apple we, TV+. Yeah, we Plus? talk about that? Because, um, you know, it's Does like it, we, we've, we've definitely now.
0: done a pretty rounded review there of, of, of Tragedy of Macbeth. I think we'll jump into highlight scenes and touch up on that. But let's talk about Apple TV+, Plus because... <laughs> should have done this before the review started but we might as well just do it now cuz um this is the stupidest plat- streaming platform out there it is the yep. most as yep. you put it convoluted mess around frustrating platform if you don't have an apple device in your house it is the worst because <laughs> like it just sucks like i for example i have a pixel 3 phone i love my pixel 3 phone mm. like i love the pixel phones Every other streaming platform, you log on, you give a quick verification code, and you're in. At the worst. And at the best, you just log on and you're in. Yeah,
1: how many streaming sites have two-factor authentication? Almost none.
0: None. Like, what do you think... You you think people were that desperate to get into Ted Lasso? Like... (laughs) Like,
1: I know people that love Ted Lasso. I know people love Ted Lasso, but I tell you,
0: I wouldn't break into someone's Apple phone to get Ted Lasso. Oh, my God. Like...
1: Um, yeah. Well, I said it. I actually tracked this down. It was episode 111 is when I first complained about Apple TV Plus and specifically mm-hmm. that there's no there's no real watch list system. It constantly signs you out. The two-factor authentication, especially because um the account signed under my mum's name because we mm-hmm. bought her an iPhone as um. You know what? That's strange because I swear we got it as a Christmas present. Oh, man, no, it would have been after that. That makes sense. Oh, I just realized, yeah, my Apple TV Plus is going to expire in a couple of months because go. we got a year for free with the iPhone we bought for Christmas for her. So it's all under her email. Mm-hmm. And I have to get in touch with her every single time I log into Apple TV Plus.
0: It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's I. What annoys me, so it's like, for example,. I actually this was the most elongated thing. So obviously I have a Google Pixel phone. So after I registered my a new Apple ID, did the verification, created the account, I then went on my phone and it went you can't go on your phone and proceed. You need to go onto a computer, download iTunes or Apple Music and verify your <laughs> Apple ID through that before you can get oh onto God. Apple TV. So then I go. All right, I've got my Chromebook, so I use my Chromebook. My Chromebook doesn't count because it's basically a tablet, so I can't yep. install iTunes on it. So it then I use like, an iPad because uh, my laptop died. So then I had to go on the home PC, download iTunes. It took me two and a half hours to get onto Apple TV. <laughs> the movie's a hundred minutes long. <laughs> it took longer to watch the movie than to watch the movie, and immediately after that I was so mad so I went in this movie mad as mad it, as bro it, uh, I just was like I'm not even doing the seven day trial I am discontinuing and I am not using this platform mm.
1: could have watched War Warformers before you did that Paramount Plus whatever. is
0: better and it's been around for like two months have you got Paramount Plus? You got, you got, I've got yeah, I've got Liam's paramount box. <laughs> what
1: is Liam and Paramount plus?
0: Um, oh, watch the new
1: jackass film? Which we'll <laughs> talk about very shortly actually.
0: <laughs> so, get like get over yourselves, Apple Peter. Get over You yourselves. just you continually prove how much like pretentious people you are. <laughs> From the, the top down to the bottom. I feel like Steve Jobs is rolling over in his grave with Apple TV+. Plus. Like, there is no way he would make something that convoluted wow. and crap.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Keep up the Bill Burr rant about Steve Jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah. What, uh, I, mean, I thought that was very important to get in there. Yeah. The Apple TV. Because it's still playing at, at the cinemas. The I wish, um, I can't. I know. I wish I did it too. Should
0: have just gone to the cinema.
1: Ah uh, well, I already spent my, my money on one movie this week, so... Yeah, that's fair. You've got to be careful.
0: can not spend too much money. Okay. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add, or do you want to jump into highlights? Um,
1: I reckon we can jump in. I would love to talk more about... I mean, we, we went really deep into sort of the... Um, obviously, the black-and-white photography, cinematography, and all that. Mm. But I want to talk about... I guess I would say my highlight scenes, because it, it, it would be those earlier scenes, sort of before we get to the, the, the more contrasty scenes or the interior stuff, mm. pretty much... Again, we talk about Fargo, sort of the iconography of this like pure white snow just sort of spread out across the whole frame. And I remember my instincts... Obviously, i referenced Pi already um, in terms of how it utilizes shapes in high contrast, black and white lighting. But what I loved about those earlier scenes, in particular with the witches and even before then and how Mm. characters sort of come out of the, the invisible mist into frame and things like that, what it actually invoked in me it reminded me of how the Batman animated series was done. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the term for it, but I understand they kind of did it in reverse way where they were, instead of painting over white canvases, they would actually get a pure black canvas yeah. and draw lighter colours on that, which is so cool because it creates this amazing aesthetic. And it kind of reminded me, it's almost the inverse of what this film feels like it's doing at the start with all the pure white visuals. It's almost like, you know, as cinematographers your job is to bring light into the lens to bring light into a dark world and mm-hmm. that's how you create your mise-en-scene the frame um and for this it felt like the opposite it felt like there was this pure white seeping into the frame and it was almost like you know director cinematographer all that jazz it was almost like the team's job to slowly take bits of that color out to start forming the shapes of the people that walk in the frame or the sets in the background or things like that so That in particular, those early scenes, Mm -hmm. just phenomenal, excellent stuff. That a bit, a bit of a cheat, bit of a cheat, but that'd be my highlight scene. No, that's right. Yeah. What about yours?
0: Uh, I'd probably say I do. I am a big fan of, um, in particular, the hallway fight scene between right, um, Macbeth and Macduff. Not the Macduff. The Actually, the first fight. I'm just going to double check.
1: Oh, know. right. You know what's really cool about that scene? Because obviously they were in an interior, but when they cut to looking to what feels like the right side of the building, like you kind of have the forest mm. there. It's almost like the walls disappeared.
0: Yeah. That was pretty cool. That's what I liked about it. That that, a, that hallway kind of dolly track shot. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Big fan of that. That was that sequence. I did like the McDuff... Um, uh, the mcduff Macbeth fight. Mc, yeah, at the end with the... I definitely like the the beheading part with the the, the fact, fact that he's he, reaching for he, his crown, crown. that's great simple him. that's great simple visual storytelling fantastic yep. um the score is very good in that last sequence mm. too um but yeah the the precursor fight to that I really like the dolly tracking shot with the Macbeth sort of so fueled by it that he know and he almost feels mm. like because he knows um that he's not going to die to this character because obviously because of the prophecy the way he like ducks and weaves and and has that sort of ego and confidence is is fantastic
1: yeah it's cool because it is such a shakespearean thing to get to that level of violence Mm -hmm. but i I love that the film you know it it almost feels like you know characters standing in a room talking to each other i love that when they need to get violent they do you know and and the performers are willing to do that to be yeah, like cool sort engage in the fight scenes. Would we'll be my
0: highlight scene.
1: Beautiful. Well,
0: big pat on the back for a hundred minutes too. Not overstaying. your welcome.
1: Yeah, I was relieved because I was running out of time yesterday. I had yesterday to watch this and then worst person in the world, um, and I was relieved. I was like, ah, hundred minutes, hundred and five minutes, perfect.
0: No worries. Well, the tragedy of Macbeth is currently out on Apple TV and still in cinemas right now. Yes, go see it in a cinema.
1: Absolutely. We uh, do as we say. Not as we do, because we go. watch it on a streaming too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thou shall say what's in cinemas and streaming platforms next week, Jake.
1: Oh, tis a big one, Zeke. <laughs> tis a huge week, in fact. So buckle up, bitches. <laughs> We're about to get into it. Let's Coming cool. to Netflix this week, we have My Best Friend Anne Frank, which causes the retelling of the Anne Frank story, but from the perspective of her friend, Hella Guzla, Halle Eagles, I believe. Um, that's kind of a cool little twist. Again, a classic story, but like with, a, they just have to put that twist in there. This is from a different perspective. <laughs> I can't, that always, and I'm not saying there's anything bad with that. No. But it's like, again, the confidence to be like, we're just going to make a Macbeth film. Yeah. We're just going to do that, which I love. Um, so that's coming out. The Tinder Swindler sees a group of women who were the victims of a dating app-based swindler joined together in an attempt to hunt him down and recover the millions of dollars stolen from them. Mm. Seems a little spicy.
0: Mm, it does seem a little um,
1: We also have Murderville, which is, in fact, a series. I usually don't read out series too much on this, but I wanted to point out that it is one that stars Will Arnett, who plays a detective, and the sort of the gimmick here from episode to episode is that he has an ever-shifting partner, so it's sort of a, a roster of guest stars, uh, who pretty much have to improv around the script, which they themselves have not read. So that sounds kinda of, That's gonna be fun. Yeah. It could be funny. Keen for that. Oh, And finally, the prequel Red Dog True Blue drops as well. So that's all just Netflix.
0: So this is a big week. That's a big week for Netflix. I know.
1: Exciting. I think that. Oh no, that's throughout the week. That's spread throughout the week. There's some other streaming apps such as Amazon Prime, of course, where they have huge drops on a single day. So as of tomorrow, the first, you have Anchorman. Castaway, Central Intelligence, Coneheads, uh, the first seven Fast and the Furious films, I mm. believe. Um, I swear to God, they keep dropping everywhere. Um, Into the Wild, which is a big favourite of yours. Mm. It's a Wonderful Life, Mamma Mia, Manchester by the Sea, the first two Pitch Perfects, Salt, Scarface, Scent of a Woman, and Scrooged. Um, that's literally everything coming out in the first. You finally and get almost- to watch
0: Manchester by the Sea. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's it. watch it.
1: It's very great that's pretty much their entire budget that literally like nothing else comes to Amazon Prime this month (laughs) (laughs) so I'm not going to mention a lot in the next coming weeks you also have Paramount Plus with a big drop as well tomorrow on the 1st which includes 1984 Airplane and its sequel Clue Crocodile Dundee El Dorado underrated film great film Uh, several of the jackass films and we're going to talk about a new one very Mm. shortly Rosemary's Baby The French Connection which calling it there's going to be a criterion release for that very soon if you're looking at their Facebook page there's little hints there uh, there Will Be Blood and Fight Club hopefully not the one with the re-edited Chinese ending have you heard about this? No, I did hear
0: about this <laughs> where corporations win <laughs>
1: <laughs> the police swiftly found out and say to them. They... I kind of want to
0: watch it though like yeah, see how it ends does he just die? It's, it's,
1: no it's just the title screen they just like cut early to a black screen and then the text
0: comes up that's all it is like when the police come
1: no, like I think that they're they're standing outside the window. All the buildings are about to explode. Spoiler alert for Fight Club. I guess we did that long, 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 long time ago. Um, but it just it just cuts to black early and has a text being like the authorities stopped them. Really? <laughs> How great is that? And I've seen memes of people doing that with Fun Cut gems, where it cuts right before <laughs> the moment, and it's like they all shook hands and congratulated each other on a big million dollar win. <laughs> So, I, I, hope so that, good. I hope that becomes a meme um, from now on. Um, like
0: abruptly cutting off movies.
1: Exactly, yeah. And just like <laughs> the the silly eye. alternative yeah. endings. That's brilliant. Uh, coming to stand this week, you have, again, the first seven Fast and Furious films. So there you go. Mm-hmm. One or the other. Uh, the French Dispatch comes to Disney+, Plus, which feels kind of soon, doesn't it? So soon. But then
0: I, I won't be surprised. How, probably Tragedy of Macbeth will be out on DVD and stuff. Probably That's true. Do Apple,
1: do Apple do DVD drops?
0: Oh, I imagine mm. that film will get a DVD release. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if it didn't.
1: And yeah, I guess they should. Yeah, big awards yeah. contender. If you're going to get Apple TV Plus for the week trial, watch, obviously watch Macbeth. We love it. Um, watch Coda. Watch Wolfwalkers. I didn't mind, Gre- is it Grey, Grey Hound? Grey, what the hell? The Tom Hanks one?
0: Oh, that new one that came out? It was like a year old now, but...
1: I don't even remember what it's called. Yeah, couldn't... Yeah. Oh, and Finch. That's a different one as That's well. That's the one I was thinking, Finch. Yeah. Well, we have, we. Um, one of our friends actually did the VFX on that film, or worked on it, I should say. Oh, So you it. should watch Finch. Again, hmm. do as we say, not as we yeah. do, because I haven't seen it myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, All right. And, oh, pff, Jesus Christ, we still got Binge. Binge, we have Happiest Season, The Theory of Everything, An American Pickle, and the Australian film, Dune, again. Not Dune. June again so keep that in mind and finally Zeke we're in theatres <laughs> if we're we allowed in theatres I know oh exactly yeah we've got to wear our mask um, today's the day isn't it we're going to do our double vax mm-hmm. passes yeah I've already
0: I did it twice today get my booster
1: not this week the week after I get mine next Sunday oh well,
0: there we go we seem so, to get them really close together
1: we do did you, did you reschedule it yesterday yep. yeah see because it was meant to change today we both had big brains on us to check a day early yeah so, uh, by I'm
0: 10th of February. That's
1: my booster. Oh, okay. So, next episode, I'll be boosted, and the one after that, yep. you'll be boosted. Perfect. Wonderful. So, once that happens, we can go back to theaters <laughs> <laughs> where well, we can finally watch Jackass Forever. I feel like I've been <laughs> teasing this for a, a few minutes now, um, which is the long-awaited return of the Jackass Gang, including Johnny Knoxville, Bam Majera, and Steve uh, O, and the rest. Jeez, I got confused there. Um, are we excited for this at all?
0: I've actually never seen a Jackass film. Really? Yeah.
1: I feel like it's. Been a I feel
0: like I'm long past the point of watching them yeah, and really being, yeah, yeah, into them. Like they feel like something a twelve year old would have a lot of fun with. So mm-hmm. I respect people that did watch them and grow up with them and enjoy them. But I don't know. I've seen like scenes from the first couple of them and it's very juvenile issue. it's
1: juvenile it's very hit or miss so i remember when we were down this was like a hotel film we and and at the time i was surprised because i had lots of really like recent films on the channel but you had to wait until they would play on loop throughout the day mm-hmm. so it was like every three or four hours you could go on, and i watched jackass 3d over and over and over again that week but it was always specific parts mm-hmm. like this part's funnier than that part and then this part's boring and then this part's funny again and I always like when they do, like, stuff in the real world. Yeah. Mess with it. That's funny. That's funny to me. The, like, oh, look, this guy eats someone else's shit. Like, I, ugh.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's never, yeah. So I personally do not care for it. I'm sure there'll be people out there that are very excited for it.
1: Yeah. Well, if it appears on Paramount Plus at some point in the future, and I'm stealing mm. Liam's account too in this scenario, <laughs> then I'll probably watch it. I'm not going to a theater for it. However, you also can go watch Moonfall, which comes from the director of Independence Day in 2012. So a bit of a, bit of a theme there for this mm. director. And sees a similar end-of-the-world concept play out when a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit and sends it hurtling towards Earth.
0: Yeah. Don't look up. Then <laughs>
1: don't. The sequel to Don't Look Up. Yeah. That was quick. It was really quick. Oh, goodness. And finally, this one's very exciting, Belfast. It's a semi-autobiographical film which chronicles the life of the working-class family and their young son's childhood during the turmoil of the late 1960s in the Northern Island capital. And if you have any sort of interest in the award season this year, you should probably put this one in your radar. Very excited. Very excited. Looks great. Looks mm. absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah, that that's and it. Come on, come on.
1: Yeah. Oh, that, that's soon as well. Yeah. As mid-February. You know what? That's the same week as the Uncharted movie. <laughs>
0: are you gonna go watch the uncharted movie
1: i'm gonna well, i'm definitely should gonna you, watch it should i encourage you to get drunk and the go watch the qu- uncharted movie? the question is do i watch it before i watch come on come on <laughs> do i trade in my film card because it's going so they re-released uncharted 4 and uncharted lost legacy on the ps5 yeah i've got it right there you can probably see it the cover
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm replaying it again and they're great games I kind of wish they did more than just up the frame rate a couple of frames per second, but whatever. They're great games, and the movie's gonna suck, and I know it's gonna suck, and I'm gonna cry. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts so much. (laughs) Just every fight, the uh, you know what? You know what really is bothering me lately? It's the music. The music. Mm. Listen to the soundtrack of the games, specifically the the first three, the trilogy.
0: I'm not a huge would fan you, of the Henry would Jackson Would you do movie. it as a title episode on our show? <laughs> you see, okay. You yeah, know it would just win stale popcorn. This bit. is it. This, oh yeah, that's true. That would, would, would be the easiest
1: we kind of have to do it then almost, <laughs> don't we? Because here's the thing, what I love about this show is that we, I feel like we're appreciators of film more than reviewers. Yeah. In that even bad films, we like, we analyze them and we sort of talk about what makes them tick, what doesn't make mm-hmm. them tick. We sort of try and go deep with it. We don't just say, this movie sucks. But the Uncharted movie, I, I'm not going to be able to control myself. It's going to be horrible.
0: It's be a funny episode. I'm though. not going to be able to control myself. <laughs> oh,
1: it's going to be Jake screaming for two hours. Where's Sally's mustache
0: <laughs> We'll just get like Stephen and Blake to come onto. Oh us. my god! You're all just like a weird abomination. It'd be the easiest episode for me to be on. <laughs> 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 Wouldn't have to say anything. The worst part is I'll chime in with something I actually kind of like, and then you'll be all be like, "You shut! Up! Yeah.
1: You shut! Yes, you're Ron! You're factually Ron Zeke." <laughs> You're like, I didn't mind this. No! No! no <laughs> <laughs> <Our> voices break.
0: <laughs> it's the episode of oh, the cinema. Show Christ.
1: Breaks. And then the week after we'll do come on,
0: come on, and we'll we'll get our self respect back yeah, exactly. for that. Exactly. Oh God. <laughs> well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, but we are doing something award season related with our next director's corner. Yeah. But Jake, who's the director and what are we watching?
1: Figured it was about time we finally talk about Jane Campion, and her film, The Piano.
0: She came to a strange land in search of a new life. We can't leave the piano. But there are too few of us here to carry it now. She came to a husband she had never met it was time, I'm sure she would become affectionate. And discovered a passion that would change her world forever. Holly Hunter, Harvey Keitel, Sam Neill, The Piano.
1: In the mid-19th century, a mute woman is sent to New Zealand along with her young daughter and prized piano for an arranged marriage to a wealthy landowner, but is soon lusted after by a local worker on the plantation. So, neither of us have seen the piano? Nope. Um, I've wanted to watch this for a long time. I think we were actually meant to watch this in class.
0: We were. In third and
1: year, and just, it was hard to find. Yeah. But you have it on DVD. I
0: do have found it in an op shop one yeah. time.
1: I found it on YouTube, so if you're sneaky, you can find it on YouTube, English version.
0: You'll have to watch it super English. quick, though, Jake. I know, they're going to take Just in it case down. you get a picnic hanging rock situation. I
1: know, they just take it down. <laughs> <laughs> now, they did release the Criterion for this a few days ago. Obviously, if
0: I order it now... you got a really good timing with this pick.
1: Oh, it's it's wonderful. Of course, Power of the Dog is, is hot, 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 hot right now. It's Probably going to win Best Picture. Probably. It's not it's not as much of a slam dunk as Nomadland was yeah that we knew that for months getting that a lot of then. love
0: though a lot of love yeah
1: but it absolutely is so I think this would be we'll, we'll do a bit of a Sean Baker we'll do this and then spoiler alert we'll probably do The Power of the Dog the following week I mean it's a way to go about it yeah
0: well no worries thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast I was Zeke. I was Jake we'll catch you next week with The Piano <laughs>